Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour two of Extra Point on this Monday, October 9th, right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We'll take your phone calls in this hour around 1115-602-260-1060. If you'd like to chime in, 602-260-1060 is the number. Let's reset the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started here with the Arizona Diamondbacks. There's a game two today. We'll touch on this game here and uh, a look back to game one from Saturday momentarily, but do the Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers again tonight? The masses continue to be on the no side of things here now at 67% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 33%. We'll officially answer it around 1130 today. Tossing it on over to Twitter. At KDS AM 1060, it was a Cardinals loss to Angles yesterday, 34 to 20. Marco Wilson was tasked with shadowing Jamar Chase. The numbers for Chase, 15 catches, 192 yards, and three touchdowns. Should the Cardinals coaching staff be criticized for allowing Jamar Chase to catch 15 passes for 192 yards and three touchdowns. Yes, leading the way at 57.1% of the vote. No trailing at 42.9%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Bob inspired with the poll question from uh, a lot of national uh, outlets that he was listening to yesterday discussing this. Uh, So we'll dive into it around 1130 today. The Diamondbacks, as I mentioned here, they have a one-game lead over the Dodgers in the best-of-five NLDS series. Game two is tonight, but first let's go back to game one where they chased Clayton Kershaw there in the first inning. Kershaw's line, a third of an inning pitch, six hits, six runs, one walk, one home run. The Diamondbacks went on to win 11-2, and Merrill Kelly picked up his first win over the Dodgers after previously being 0-11. He went 6-3rd, three hits, two walks, five strikeouts on 89 pitches. Yeah, give me 11 runs, and I guarantee you I can beat the Dodgers. I don't know if that was a battle cry or whatever the deal was there. Uh, but literally, I text a baseball friend of mine in the first batter of the game, after the first batter of the game, that something was physically wrong with Kershaw, and he's throwing you know 80s. His fastball was in the uh, you know like 85, 86 uh, area, and I just you know, thought that he was injured from the start, and uh, obviously didn't make it through the first inning. And um, if the Dodgers are eliminated here, you know he's been a free agent, and you know, he's you know questioned. There's been questions whether he was going to come back next year. I I think he's done. I mean, I, and I thought he was done before he gave up, you know, all those runs in the first inning. The first hitter of the game, I thought he was physically hurt and injured, something wrong. 
Yeah, uh, he, that was, you know, obviously there has been struggles with him in the postseason, but this was just stuff, uh, certainly not the velocity you would expect. I know the velocity over the years has certainly uh, dipped a little bit, but you also have to wonder how much he wants to just keep pitching. Uh, it's been an incredible career for him and then just how many years he's been at it with the plethora of injuries that he has sustained over the course of his career. Also, he's got several children now, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, there was speculation a couple years ago, especially after they won the World Series, and he obviously had a lot to do with that World Series run in the bubble, which was in Texas. He's from Texas, and there was speculation at that point if he was going to pitch any more, that he'd go back to Texas and pitch for the Rangers. Before That was when the Rangers were really bad. Uh, but... Uh, I think there's lots of questions, and uh, I, I would actually, at this point, quite frankly, be surprised. I hope that's not his last game, and that's a bad final final inning and last memory and so forth. But uh, you know that was uh, that was sad. Uh, it benefited the Diamondbacks, and that's good for us as uh, for this show and for this radio station. As long as the Diamondbacks keep playing, that's a great thing. But I thought the whole if, – if we weren't in this market involving the Diamondbacks, uh, that would be uh, – you know, I, I hope he's not done. I hope I'm totally wrong here. But I just think there's – you know, it looks like he's at the end of the road. Uh, game two is tonight. It's a 6.07 p.m. start on TBS. You have Zach Gallen going up against Bobby Miller. Uh, you know, obviously Gallen has already pitched one time in this postseason for the Diamondbacks. Bobby Miller getting his postseason started. Uh, so they're obviously here, though, for the Diamondbacks, you feel good about having Zach Gallen your ace in this particular situation. I'm going to say exactly what I said before he pitched last week. Uh, he has had this, you know, this is going on even when he was supposedly sailing along during the season. But it seems like, and I'm the biggest Zach Gallen fan in the world, uh, before he even came here you know, when he was pitching with Florida, uh, he has these, you know, I don't remember this in previous years, he has these stretches like every game where he just kind of loses command also, a ton of foul balls hit against him, and that happened against the Brewers the other day in that first inning. Once he figured all that out, he sailed through the next five innings and made it through six. But you know, the Dodgers are a tremendous offensive team that hits a lot of foul balls and you know, puts the ball in play uh, for the most part. So you know, that's something to really pay attention to from the start of this game tonight. Uh, for the bats, for the Diamondbacks here, there were questions about runners in scoring position. There was questions in just scoring runs and how they concluded the regular season. We both didn't think that it was a cause for concern heading into the playoffs. They've exploded here and obviously exploded for 11 runs in the last game. But, you know, it still comes down to situational things, being able to move guys over. Uh, it still comes down to taking advantage of innings when you do get runners in scoring position and to keep putting pressure on the opposing team's defense. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but uh, you know, Bobby Miller is another wild card here. We said Peralta was a wild card before the Diamondbacks faced him in game two of the Milwaukee series. And you know, Peralta had a no-hitter through you know, into the fifth inning in that game. And then completely things fell apart on him in the uh, you know the sixth inning, the sixth inning. Yeah, gave up the homer in the fifth, and then gave up. Uh, he was out of the game by the end of the sixth. 
Uh, Miller has had some starts. He, he's tremendous stuff. Rookie pitcher, you know, obviously rookie, rookie pitcher, first playoff game, la-di-da. But he's had some games where he's dominated some really good lineups, uh, and he's had some games where, as you would expect for a young pitcher, just really can't find anything. Uh, so another, you know, the first inning of this game, the first couple innings, you might get a really good idea how this game's going to go for both pitchers, which is you know, kind of unusual to say because Gallon's by no means an older, you know, big-time, long-time established pitcher, but he's been around long enough that I think he's established himself as an elite pitcher when everything's going, but sometimes things go kind of haywire uh, during starts. And Miller, with the rookie status, who knows what you're going to get, but you might have a pretty good idea after at least a – you know, a couple innings or one time through the lineup, how these guys are going to perform for the entire night. The Phillies, they took game one, three, nothing over the Braves. It was a Ranger Suarez start. He went three and a two, three and two thirds, one hit, one walk, four strikeouts, 53 pitches for him. Craig Kimbrell in with the save. Spencer Strider with the start for the Braves, seven hits, uh, uh, seven innings, five hits, two runs, two walks, eight strikeouts, and one home run. Uh, the Phillies continuing their torrid play, and tonight it is going to be Zach Wheeler versus Max Freed, who comes back off of the 15-day injured list. Yeah, we have no idea how he's going to go. He's had the blister, and there was even last Friday afternoon that he may not even be on the playoff roster for the Braves, and he is on the player playoff roster at least. So we'll see how this goes. And that's three whole days ago because, you know, they had the day yesterday in the National League. So who knows what's up with feed. And uh, to me, the biggest surprise, you know, I think to everybody, the biggest surprise in this game on Saturday uh, was, you know, not just the Suarez. He's just out there trying to get through as many outs as he could possibly get through. And he's a soft-tossing ground ball guy, left-hander. Uh, the Braves didn't score a run. Uh, they were only shut out this season twice the entire season. They're the best offensive team in baseball. No matter what category you look at, they're number one. They did. They got shut out. They had been shut out at home the entire season until Saturday night and only twice overall in 163 games. Uh, the Astros, they won game one, 6-4 to four behind Justin Verlander. Six innings, four hits, three walks, six strikeout performance. The Twins, though, come back in game two to win 6-2. to two. Carlos Correa, a big reason why for Minnesota. Three hits, three RBIs, one walk on his day. And Framber Valdez was the game two starter for Houston. Four and a third, seven hits, five runs, three walks, five strikeouts, and one home run. Well, this just confirms what I've been saying about Valdez literally since July. And I'm not exaggerating here. Since July, uh, when he left that game in Anaheim with a hamstring situation, and there have been few exceptions that he has been anywhere near what he was last year or pri uh, really pre-July uh, this year. And, uh, yeah, he, he's, you know, I've said this, and once again, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. I think we're going to find out whenever the season ends for the Astros, and at this rate, it might be pretty quickly, uh, that something's physically wrong with him. And uh, you know, hopefully it's not surgically related. But uh, clearly this dude is not what he was even like literally in you know, three months ago. Uh, and he had nothing. Uh, he's lucky he didn't get up more runs. Uh, you know, he gave up seven hits and three walks. Uh, he only gave up five runs. It could have been far worse. 
The series is tied 1-1. They'll play Tuesday Christian Javier versus Sonny Gray in that contest. Four- yeah, and also the Minnesota fans come back into play here because I know people have lost their – I think they've gone a little bit overboard about the Philadelphia fans and how big of an influence they've made in the playoffs the last two years. It's true, but they've also got a tremendous hitting lineup. And uh, the two stud starting pitchers, I think that's had more to do with their success than their fan base. But the Twins, their fan base was crazy last week. And clearly that mentally affected the Jays, whether it be on the mound or in the uh, on the base pass. The Astros have a lot of experience and so forth. So we'll see if this is, uh, I was guessing, it's not going to be as big a difference in this series as it was in the last series. But the uh, the Twins fans are something to really factor in here if you're trying to handicap the rest of this series, the next two games in Minnesota. The Rangers took game one over the Orioles, 3-2. to two. The Rangers won game two, 11-8. Jordan Montgomery, four innings, nine hits, five runs, one walk, two strikeouts, and one home run. And the Rangers now are just one win away from advancing. Uh, also here, it is slated for Nathan Avaldi to start for the Rangers on Tuesday. Yeah, the, the Orioles, I think, are going to, if they lose this series, they're just going to look back. They, they should have won the first game. Uh, they they had numerous opportunities, you know, tremendous uh, you know, ninth inning situation with Jonah Heim, the Rangers catcher, throwing out Connor, uh, you know, excuse me, Gunnar Henderson on a, a, a base stealing attempt at second base. It's a tremendous throw, and that pretty much finished that game off. And then Grayson Rodriguez, the Orioles starting pitcher in game two, rookie pitcher. I don't know if he's officially classified as a rookie, but he's a young pitcher. He was not ready at all. They were prepared to deal with this. Uh, and he uh, you know, didn't even make it through the second inning, gave up five runs. He was another guy. He gave up six hits and four walks and only gave up five runs. He could have given up even more. But uh, that was uh, – he was clearly unprepared for that. And if the Rangers moved on, it's starting to look like Scherzer's going to be available for the next series. Now, we have no idea – Considering Scherzer's injury history this year with multiple times on the injured list and his postseason history of wearing down in recent years before this year, uh, what he's going to be able to provide. But they can only help the Rangers, and their offense has been amazing in these first two series. They've completely dominated the Rays and the the Orioles. Basically, they've just out-slammed them. Uh, you know, no pun intended because there was a grand slam involved there. So I really didn't mean that word, but I'm so smart. It's accurate. It's accurate when I don't even mean to say it. So there you go. Yeah, that was my question to you uh, before the series got started here. You just have all the experience that Bruce Bochy brings, uh, even experienced players on this roster, maybe not necessarily with the Rangers, but experience in postseason play versus an Orioles organization that, you know, it's tremendous that they, you know, won the American League, all the games that they, they won, but things change when you get into the postseason play and you don't know if some of that inexperience becomes a factor until you're in it. Yeah, the Bochy thing, you know, nobody thinks more of him than me, and he's in the Hall of Fame. If he ever actually retires and stays away, <laughs> he's he's in the Hall of Fame in five years for sure. That's great, but to me, the Orioles, and I didn't, I've been completely wrong about this series from the start, uh, even though I still think the Orioles should have won that first game. 
uh, but we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll never know whether that would have made a difference or not. Uh, but to me, the Orioles youngsters who have been so smart and played with such a high baseball IQ during the season, it looks like they left their IQ at home at times in the first two games of this series. So once again, the Rangers trying to close things out. That'll be on Tuesday. As for tonight, it's the Phillies and the Braves, 3.07 p.m. on TBS. And then you have the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers at 6.07 p.m. on TBS. We'll take your phone calls on the other side of the break. If you'd like to chime in in regards to the NFL, Major League Baseball playoffs, college football, 602-260-1060. We'll also dive into the weekend that was in college football, get some reaction for some head-scratching coaching decisions, uh, some almost upsets, some upsets. We'll dive into it all next right here on The Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Eleven twenty-four, right here on KDUS AM 1060. You're in the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's react to the college football weekend. If you'd like to chime in, feel free to do so. 602-260-1060 is the number. Uh, you know, this game probably didn't have a whole lot of attention placed on it until the events at the end unfolded and i'm talking about what happened between georgia tech and miami uh so you have the game pretty much won it's won it's yours all miami has to do is take a knee instead they run the football and just in unfortunate circumstances here uh there was a fumble Two plays later, Georgia Tech is walking into the end zone as time is expiring to get the 23-20 to victory here. But what's, I think, head-scratching is that apparently this is a lesson that was not previously learned by head coach Mario Cristobal because he did something very similar when he was with Oregon as the head coach and ended up losing to Stanford back in 2018. That's totally true, and I know that's been talked about 100% correct that that's been talked about in the last, you know, what is it, 48 hours, less than that right now. But the thing to me that it's also equally is just confusing is how on the final play, what turned out to be the final play, well, I guess it wasn't the final play because there was a kickoff, but the final offensive play for Georgia Tech, how did the wide receiver get behind your entire secondary uh, for an easy touchdown pass and you lose that game, how that could, can't possibly happen, ever. I don't disagree with you there. My only thought process behind it all is that not everyone reacted quick enough to just being stunned by the fact that this game was yours. You're thinking you won. You have, you know, players on the defensive side of the ball celebrating, you know, on the sidelines because, hey, we've won this game. Now, all of a sudden, out there on the field having to make a play. Uh, So just kind of all of those extracurricular things that are going through your head, you let the player get behind you because in no uncertain circumstance should you have let that happen. Well, you shouldn't even have, you should have like guys lined up at the goal line or something at that point. Give me a, it was just 
it, it just it's it's inexplicable. I mean, to me, that's just as stupid as the actual not taking a knee. I mean, it's just there's no way that either of those things should happen. And you know, I, I'm c- completely understand the all the talk about the uh, you know taking the knee thing, but nobody seemed to be talking about the final play of the game. How can that can't possibly ever happen? He was wide open. Uh, moving into another contest that got our morning started off on Saturday with Oklahoma and Texas. Oklahoma ends up winning 34 to 30. It was the Dylan Gabriel show, 23 of 38 for 285 yards and a touchdown. He also had 14 carries for 113 yards and one touchdown. His counterpart for Texas, Quinn Ewers, 31 of 37, 346 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, and a fumble. The ground game uh, just keeps on plowing through for Texas. Jonathan Brooks, 22 carries, 129 yards, and one touchdown. But uh, I guess where things all changed here, Texas kicks the field goal to put them up three, 117 to go. Oklahoma then goes the length of the field to score with 15 seconds left to play. And they were clearly the better team, and I was way wrong in this game. And it's a miracle that Texas even had a chance to win this game because they were bad. They had penalties, they had turnovers, they had, you know, just, you know, just bad defensive alignment. And I don't understand what some of their strategy was, certainly in the last drive. But, you know, the story of this game should be Dylan Gabriel, uh, who didn't get to play in this game last year because he suffered a concussion the week before. He's been injured, unfortunately for him, more than just that one time a year ago, whether he was at UCF or whether he was at Oklahoma. Also, like a lot of people forget that at one time, between the time he played at Central Florida and ended up at Oklahoma, he was actually committed to go to UCLA and changed his mind at the last second and ended up going to Oklahoma because you know, you know Caleb Williams transferred to USC uh, and they had a place for him at Oklahoma. But Gabriel, I saw a thing. I usually don't watch these pregame shows. In fact, I never watch these pregame shows. And for whatever reason, I had a TV on, and I saw a feature on him before the game on Saturday. Seems to be a tremendous kid. Uh, they think with his come of his family, and there can't seemingly be a better college kid or quote student athlete, which I think is an exaggeration many times in college sports. But this guy seems to have it all together, and good for him. He rushed for 113 yards. He had incredible poise. His two, he lost two offensive linemen to injuries during the game and managed to do everything that he did, including that last drive of the game, which was just like John Elway-esque, leading your, your Montana-type leading down the field, even though the Texas defensive strategy was questionable. But still, this guy was great. And as I mentioned, from what I saw before the game with him, I was like, I had, you know, I lost money in this game, so I wasn't rooting for Oklahoma. But by the end of the game, I was so, you know, obviously I just can't shut up about him right now, which I should. Uh, but I was very happy for him. And Oklahoma clearly deserved to win this game. They were the better team. You know, it's it's interesting because I feel like the narrative all last year was that Brent Venables, the new head coach for Oklahoma, in over his head, et cetera. And there really wasn't this opportunity for him to get 
players that he was recruiting into the system. Now that you see that, they, obviously with the transfer portal, recruitment, etc., uh, now you're starting to see the change of his coaching staff, his players, and therefore that execution. Well, and actually just the way that he's gone about it, and Chris Fowler during the broadcast did a really good job a couple of different times, at least a couple of different times, because uh, there were a few, few games in that 9 o'clock window that I was trying to also pay attention to. But the fact that he's changed the way that he's you – know, he dele- tried to delegate authority. First time as a head coach, and he really didn't wasn't a hands-on defensive guy last year. And obviously he's changed that in uh, you know, their defense, which I thought was phony because of the garbage opponents that they had faced. That's obviously much better now. And uh, the fact that he's, you know, like involved every day in the defense, uh, that seems to have made a huge difference here. So, and I didn't know any stuff last year. I just, you know, they got off to a bad start, and I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to what was going on with Oklahoma, unfortunately, other than the Gabriel injuries at quarterback. But, you know, the fact that he's completely changed and he's willing to change after one year as a head coach, that says something, too. Ohio State and Maryland here. Ohio State gets the win 37-17. Ohio State scored 27 in the second half to end up putting Maryland away. Marvin Harrison Jr., eight catches, 163 yards, and one touchdown in the contest. Yeah, a couple things here. Ohio State can't run the ball. And if you've listened to this show since you know day one when we did our Ohio State preview, I questioned their offensive line. I don't think there's any questions about their offensive line now. They cannot run block. Uh, the only time that they've run the ball this year is against Western Kentucky. And Western Kentucky has basically you know, the smallest defensive front that Ohio State has maybe ever faced, or certainly this year. That's the only time they've been able to run. Uh, the fact that Henderson didn't play for this game for Ohio State uh, didn't matter as far as the running game goes because he wouldn't have done anything either. And the fact that McCord, did, he was really good the second half of this game. Uh, but they also lost, uh, you know, they lost, you know, Igbuka got hurt in this game for Ohio State. Henderson was already hurt. Uh, so moving, they play Penn State in two weeks. And if those guys aren't healthy by then, they're going to get their ass kicked by Penn State. Uh, let's go to the local team with ASU. They lost to Colorado 27 to 24. ASU, though, executed a 13-play, 94-yard drive to tie the game up. But with 50 seconds left, Shador Sanders got Colorado into field goal range for a 43-yard attempt. It included, though, a 43-yard pass play along with a 7-yard pass play to get them down the field. The win puts Colorado's, uh, I guess, losing streak to bed against Pac-12 schools at eight games. Each team in this contest had five sacks. Yeah, in fact, all of those sacks in the second half against ASU, well, all, all the Colorado sacks, every one of them was in the second half. Uh, I think it's really, I think it, you know, this may be really unfair, but I don't think so. I think it's, you have to at least ask whether Kenny Dillingham is in over his head. Uh, they've been absolutely outmatched after halftime. They've been outscored after halftime in five of six games this year. The cumulative score in the second half of ASU games this year is 93-39, to not in their favor. And once again, just what are they doing on defense? You just went the length of the field to give your chance to give your team a chance to win the game. How can your defensive back – did they – you know, I couldn't even tell – uh, you know, the you mentioned the 43-yard play. That there's no way that can happen. 
I mean, how can you not? How, were they confused coverage? I couldn't even figure out what the hell they were supposed to be doing. You know, you, you know Torrance is playing man-to-man. The guy runs right by him, and they get a 43-yard completion out of the deal, and that's why they lost the game. And there didn't seem to be a safety anywhere near there. So you, you gotta, how can you not be playing zone defense at that point? And it's, it, they seem to – I've mentioned they've had 12 guys in the field on offense. They've had 10 guys in the field in defense. And the, with the exception of the USC game when they just basically you know, threw everything against the wall, they could have a chance, which is a good idea at the time. Other than that, I've had coaching decisions in every game this year about ASU. Every game. USC needed three overtimes to beat U of A, 43-41. to 41. Noah Fatita uh, is the U of A starting quarterback once again. 25 of 35, 303 yards, five touchdowns and one interception. Jonah Coleman, 22 carries, 143 yards. U of A is a team on the ground, 42 carries, 203 yards. Meanwhile, for USC, Caleb Williams, 14 of 25, 219 yards and a touchdown, 12 carries, 41 yards, three touchdowns, and he also had the two-point conversion that ended up being the game winner here. But the fact that it needed three overtimes, I thir- certainly think that says more about USC, despite them being 6-0. and They're not good. Uh, yeah, They're not going to win the national championship. I don't even think they're going to win the Pac-12 championship. They're just not – their defense is bad. Their offensive line, I think, is a little questionable, too, which we've wondered about those two things before the season even started. You know, Fafita is really good, and uh, he should be the U of A starting quarterback. Uh, they're very, he's very calm. Their offense, uh, I mean, stealing this word from the Pac-12 Network wrap-up show, uh, the calm word, uh, you know, they look like that they're in disarray or panic mode when Jaden Delore is out there, but... You know, Jed Fish has all but said that when Delora is healthy, he's going to start again. That would be a mistake, but that's just a continuing series of mistakes from the U of A under Jed Fish, who continue to lead the world in stupid penalties. Every week this has been going on for three years with a whole bunch of new players coming and going. Uh, But the personal foul penalties they get, the pre-snap penalties, there's at least twice per game they jump off sides on defense. And I'm not joking. This has literally been going on since the first game he coached when they lost to NAU uh, three years ago. And it's still going on now. That's got, they've got two different coordinators since then on defense. This has got to rest on the head coach who can recruit. Their talent level is enormously increased since he's gotten the job, but he can't coach him up. For USC, uh, they play Notre Dame, then they play Utah, then they'll play Cal. They'll have a contest against Washington, Oregon, and UCLA to round out their season here. Uh, does Alex Grinch make it through the season? Well, they didn't fire him at the end of last season. I can't imagine that they're going to do this now. I think there's questions about Lincoln Riley, too. I mean, it's not like they're doing anything great on, you know, perfectly on offense. Uh, and I'm not so sure some of those teams you mentioned are all that good either, uh, or as good as we thought. Uh, Notre Dame lost to Louisville, which, you know, that was totally wrong on that game too. But, you know, the fact that Notre Dame came out and just turned the ball over five times, you know, I think that was as much to, of them losing to Louisville winning. Do we think Utah's any good? And, you know, God knows who's playing for Utah from week to week. 
Uh, they may not be that good. And it was the third team you mentioned there. I'm sorry. Uh, well, they have Cal, and then they'll have Washington and Oregon. I'm not even sure. You know, the, I'm, I'm still. You know, I know Washington didn't play last week, but the last two games that Washington has played, they gave up you know 30 or more points to Cal and also the U of A. So I'm not sold on their defense at all. So anyway, um, maybe the Pac-12 is not the greatest conference of all time. Uh, they have some really good quarterbacks. There's no doubt about that. But uh, we'll, we'll find out. These teams all get to play each other for a while now. I'm not, I think UCLA has the best defense in this conference. Uh, they, they certainly showed that against Wazoo on Saturday. And, uh, you know, it sounds like I'm, you know, I didn't lose every game on Saturday. In fact, I ended up doing okay. But I was really wrong about that game, too. They had Washington State, they were awful uh, on offense. And Cam Ward had been so good. Had no idea what the hell he was supposed to do against UCLA's defense. I think that's part on him, part on the uh, Washington State coaching staff, which did not have him uh, fully prepared to play against a defensive front that has done pretty much the same thing against every team it's faced this year, and they seem to be confused. Yeah, so Cam Ward, 19 of 39, 197 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and then uh, obviously lost a lot of yards on the ground game for Cam Ward. And as a team, they only had 12 team rushing yards. Conversely, Dante Moore uh, for UCLA, 22 of 44, 290 yards, one touchdown, two picks. They had 180 team rushing yards. Yeah, it was the running game was the big deal. Moore wasn't that good either, quite frankly. He threw a pick six, and it should have been two. Uh, pick sixes so yeah, he wasn't particularly good I don't care about the numbers he didn't play well uh, he was, made a couple of plays obviously one of them was like an 80 yard you know three yard pass and 75 yard run uh, so that there's sometimes those passing stats are misleading but you know the, the watch the UCLA defense they play this wacky defensive front which they've been doing for more than a month now where basically almost every play, unless it's a short yardage situation, their entire defensive line is standing up instead of in a you know you know, three points or two three point stance or whatever, and teams to beat. It's like I said, five games into the season and teams aren't ready for this yet. They haven't figured it out. We'll see if you know, we got another six or seven games. Maybe they'll figure it out by then. Maybe UCLA will figure it out by the time they play in the last game. Oh, uh, when uh, we we touched on this here, Notre Dame uh, losing to Louisville, thirty-three to twenty. Sam Hartman, uh, this is this is not great from him. Twenty-two of thirty-eight, two hundred fifty-four yards, two touchdowns, but it was three interceptions and two fumbles. Uh, meanwhile, Louisville's ground game with. Jahar Jordan, 21 carries, 143 yards, and two touchdowns. I have to wonder here how much of this is just solely based on scheduling. They haven't had a break. Two intense games in the two weeks prior to all of this. Uh, It's no surprise that some of these sorts of uncharacteristic mistakes happened. I think it was a total surprise that their defense was so bad. I mean, their defense has been stout against everybody they played. I don't know if it's that big a deal that they were stout against Ohio State's running game anymore because Ohio State can't run against anybody that's you know decent. Uh, so maybe uh, maybe I just had the wrong impression there. The thing that was uh, I do think that the schedule played a role to some extent, but yeah, you know, I don't think it played. You know, the fact that Louisville just ran at will against them was disturbing. If you're a Notre Dame fan, 
uh, in the Hartman thing. He's actually not been good for three games in a row, and he wasn't all that good against Ohio State. He missed open receivers in that game too. And I think the Notre Dame play calling on offense is below highly questionable. Whatever is less than that, they're that. What what the hell are they doing sometimes? Everybody you know, talks about the uh, you know the ten guys in the field at the end of the Ohio State game, but their offensive play calling for three consecutive high-profile games now. What are they doing? They've got five really good, literally five running backs, and they keep whipping it around the field when they'll just run the damn ball. I mean, how hard is that to figure out? Yeah, it was just 28 rushes for them as a team, 44 yards. That's not what you ex- would expect from Notre well, Dame. Well, that's what, that's what sacks included, too. Yeah. That's the stupidest college stat of all time that they include sacks in the rushing yards. Alabama top Texas A&M 26 to 20 and UCLA beat Missouri 49 to 39. Jaden Daniels was great despite kind of dealing with an injury there. 15 of 21, 259 yards, three touchdowns, 15 rushes, 130 yards and a touchdown for Jaden Daniels as the LSU offense has to keep on trucking in order to get some wins for the Tigers. We'll answer the poll questions next. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. As always, follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Here, the extra point with Bob Kemp and Kayla Morsellaro. Let's dive into the poll questions as we typically do now. Let's start with the kdos1060.com poll question, which is in regards to the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're up 1-0 in the series against the Dodgers. They play game two tonight. So, do the D-backs beat the Dodgers again tonight? Yes or no? I'm going to say yes for the purpose of the question. I think I mentioned last week uh, for the people that, uh, you know, unfortunately missed last week's extravaganza. Um, these short series, rarely do I get involved in any wagering in these short series because uh, I think it's a lot, diff- more, lot more difficult to be able to figure out what might happen. Quite frankly, I don't know all the details, but short series, etc., um, not interested in betting on this because I've just seen too many Merrill Kelly starts where there's a bad inning or two, and that could get you killed in the playoffs or get you eliminated or you know, put in a bad bad hole. Obviously, they're not going to get eliminated if they lose tonight. But uh, I think it's uh, it's crazy that with, when you're you're leading the series 1-0 and you're coming home for the next couple of games that you can say that they're in a must-win situation. But I kind of think the Diamondbacks are in a must-win. Both teams, I guess, are in a must-win situation tonight. Bobby Miller, I wish I had a little more confidence in him from game to game as far as a wagering standpoint, but I can't do that because he's a rookie. And uh, you don't know what you're getting, kind of not necessarily from start to start from him, but every three or four starts, he just kind of goes haywire, which I guess you would expect from a rookie. Uh, the Dodgers' offense is far more consistent than the Diamondbacks. Uh, you know, but with Allen in the mound, they should win tonight, but I don't have a whole lot of faith in saying so. 
Yeah, obviously the Dodgers here have a lot of offensive prowess, and so uh, you could certainly put a lot of pressure on uh, the Diamondbacks and, and Gallon if the Dodgers are able to get off to a fast start here at home. Uh, with that, though, the Diamondbacks seem to be playing pretty well, and you do have Zach Gallon on the mound. He needs to get off to a good start so he doesn't put the team kind of in a bit of a hole there. Uh, I'm going to lean in the direction of yes, but I think that just in general – here these two teams uh know each other really well and they have uh, a ton of history so it should be fun yeah most of the history in recent years has been not good for the diamondbacks but i don't care about the history and you know hopefully people will at some point realize that what happens in a regular season whether it be as far as the uh, especially at the end of a season it doesn't mean jack once the playoffs started and hopefully People will figure this out, but I say that every year at this time of this, at this time of the calendar year, at least in October, that people should just forget what happened at the end of the regular season. It almost never makes any difference. There's no momentum from the end of the regular season into the postseason. Almost none. The masses, Almost every time. <laughs> the masses are not as confident. They're on the no side of things at 60% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 40%. This is KDOS1060.com's poll question. Tossing it on over to Twitter, at KDOSAM1060. The Cardinals lost to the Bengals yesterday, 34-20. Uh, to 20. Jamar Chase had himself a day. The question here is, should the Cardinals coaching staff be criticized for allowing Jamar Chase to catch 15 passes for 192 yards and three touchdowns? Um, so first of all, Jamar Chase is an incredible player. So he's capable of going off and having games like this. I think you also are coming off of a situation where the Bengals were very frustrated. Jamar Chase was very frustrated. He let it be known how frustrated he was about his lack of usage, etc. So I think you are probably going to expect him to be heavily involved in the game plan. Also not having T. Higgins, he was out with the rib injury. So I think he was going to be a large factor in the contest. But with all of that in mind, it was curious from a Cardinals coaching standpoint to have Marco Wilson essentially be his shadow. Uh, it was curious that Keetrell Clark basically had nothing to do with the defense. Uh, it was curious that there was not maybe a little bit more uh, double team type action or something else to try to slow down Jamar Chase. And especially after it was clearly not working, the scenario that was uh, laid out at, to start the game to try to shift to something else in-game. I, I do think that we have to kind of keep in mind that the Cardinals are playing with some limited uh, limited abilities when you're going up against some of these just really incredible stud players. And Christian McCaffrey, two, two weeks ago, had just an incredible game uh, against the Cardinals with the 49ers. And so when you have that, like, next-level star, I, I think just – it almost kind of doesn't matter what the scheme is per se, that they're going to be able to get theirs. Okay. I agree with a lot of that. However, there's no excuse for what the Cardinals tried to do yesterday and continue to do it the entire game. None, zero excuse. You know, you mentioned that, you know, Chase can do that almost at any time. He'd never come close to doing that ever in his career before at LSU or with the car, uh, with the Bengals in the NFL. And the fact that they didn't seem to change anything and then listening to the post-game press conference, I was even more baffled as it seemed like 
that that wasn't even really a possibility. We can change something during a game? What a concept. And, you know, coaching staff and Gannon specifically, who I've praised a lot in the last four weeks, it looked like they all took uh, idiot pills before they got to the game yesterday or when they had yeah, game plan last week. You know, who thought that was a good game plan to begin with? And nobody is you know, thinking maybe we should change this during the game? Neither of those things seem to happen at all, ever. Uh, the masses are on the yes side of things here at 57.1% of the vote. No sitting at 42.9%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Uh, the Cardinals, they will be on the road here this Sunday. It's a divisional matchup there with the Rams. Back-to-back divisional matchups as well on the road. The Rams and the Seahawks upping. For the Arizona Cardinals. We will wrap up this Monday, October 9th edition of Extra Point on the other side of the break right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. One more to go next. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. segment of this Monday, October 9th, right here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob, that music, it's time. Thank you, time. Okay, I'm going to go really fast here. You know, thank our guest here real fast, Frank Schwab, from who are our guest in the 915 segment today. Tomorrow, 915, our weekly fantasy football update. Lots to talk about over the weekend. Uh, from over the weekend with John McKechnie of rotowire.com. Also, a sound today, courtesy of TBS, WIP, Fox, Pac-12 Networks, ESPN, and NBC. Thanks, Halo, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3. Then it's the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 4.45, as we will have the Raiders and the Packers game tonight. Uh, That is a 4.45 p.m. pregame with a 5.15 p.m. kickoff right here on KDUS AM 1060. Uh, The Packers here looks like they are, uh, well, at last, look i saw they were plus two and a half let's see if that's still the case plus two and a half raiders minus two and a half over under sitting at 45 and a half on the FanDuel sportsbook app uh curious to note if Devonte adams will play tonight packers are expected to get cornerback jair alexander back in addition to that, the Diamondbacks are taking on the Dodgers in Game 2 of the NLDS. That's today at 6.07 p.m. on TBS. As always, thanks for listening. Have yourselves a fantastic rest of your Monday. The Sports Zone with Bob Kemp with you tomorrow at 9 a.m.